0: Good morning. morning. We're glad you're here with us to worship today. And before we turn in our Bibles to our sermon text today, if you've looked around the church property, you've noticed that the Living Stones project is getting close to completion. And that's something to celebrate. I think we're all very, very ready for this project to be over. And I want to make the appeal once more that if you've not contributed, if you've not given to this project... As you're seeing it brought to completion, now would be a wonderful time. This is a project that is given for all the generations to enjoy, all the generations to use, and all the generations to be discipled. And I would like to invite each of you, even if it's just a small gift, could you participate as part of this congregation in this wonderful project that the Lord is bringing to completion? It's going to be done within a month. We're going to celebrate the opening of it on December 13th at our congregational meeting, and it would be a blessing. To be able to open that building with it paid for completely. I invite you to participate with it, if you will. Today I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 35 together this morning as we continue our study of Jesus' journey on the road to Emmaus. As Brett said a moment ago, last week we saw Jesus' uncle and aunt, Cleopas and Mary. They were it was Joseph's brother. We saw them struggle to know who Jesus truly was as they walked with him on the road. And like they, we often may be blind to the work of God when we are trapped in our own grief. And yet the resurrection changes things, doesn't it? Frederick Buechner, the theologian, said, because of the resurrection, the worst thing is never the last thing. The resurrection changes things. We come to that same night. was a meal where eyes and hearts were opened in Cleopas and Mary's home. It recalls the first meal in the Bible in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve took the forbidden fruit and she and Adam ate of it. And Genesis says that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And with that, sin and shame came into the world and it introduced a broken fellowship with God and with one another and indeed with all of creation. And you and I today experience death and decay because of that first meal in the garden. But here in this text, we experience another significant meal. It was the first meal of a new creation. When Jesus was raised from the dead to begin that work of the renewing of all the created world, our text said that Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them and their eyes were opened. And from then on, their eyes were open to new life, just as your heart and my heart, your eyes and my eyes, are open to new life and new hope and meaning and fellowship with God and with one another. That meal was a start to a new heavens and a new earth, and we await its fulfillment today. Are you living in light of that hope, the hope that's coming? Let's look at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 28. So they drew near to the village where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that by the power of Your Spirit, You would open our eyes, You would open our hearts to the wonderful things You have for us in this part of Your Word. By Your Spirit, enliven us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. A friend of mine began his ministry career in Washington, D.C. at Fourth Presbyterian Church. It's a wonderful fellow EPC congregation, very similar to Rivermont. They had seminary interns working with them in those days to develop them in their pastoral ministry skills. And some of these interns were a bit enamored with the presence of some powerful people who were in the congregation. They had a few congressmen and a few senators in the church in those days. And my friend told me about taking a pastoral visit to a senator's office and he took a young intern with him to help him develop as a pastor. And when they walked into that senator's office... My friend said that the intern was a little bit nervous. He was checking his tie. He was fixing his hair. He was fidgeting about a bit, being in the presence of a powerful person like a senator. My friend, who is ever the wise pastor, said to this young man, why are you so nervous about this? I realize that he is a powerful person, but you realize, of course, that he's just a senator in the government of the United States. But you on the other hand, are an ambassador of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you have come to this man's office to represent the true king and his power over all things. What wise words. Friends, when we realize that we have been with the king, the truly powerful king, it changes us, doesn't it? Our hearts are changed in His presence. Our priorities are rearranged. When when we are in His presence, we realize that our loves and our desires are disordered. We give our hearts to things that aren't important. We love things that are wrong. And yet in the presence of the Lord Jesus, He begins to rearrange our hearts. He rearranges our loves and then He sends us out in His service. Uncle Cleopas and Aunt Mary in this text stood in the presence of "...of the resurrected King Jesus." And yet their eyes were blind to Him. They walked the road with this powerful One as He taught them the Bible about who He was and what He had come to do. And when they arrived home that evening, Jesus was prepared to keep going, but Cleopas and Mary prevailed on Him. Come in, spend the night with us, have supper. They didn't want the conversation to end. But then their eyes were opened in His presence." Just as our eyes are opened too. What do we see in this text about being in the presence of the truly powerful One, the risen Lord Jesus? Well, first we see here that being in His presence is how we change. So often we think in this life about, I have things about my life that I want to change. I'm not the person I want to be. How is that going to happen? Well, this text teaches us along with others that being in His presence is how we change. If you remember back to last week, we looked at the loss and the grief that Cleopas and Mary had experienced. They lost their nephew, the, the Jesus. They lost him to humiliation. They lost him to capital punishment. They lost him to shame as he was convicted as a criminal against the government and in the eyes of the religious leaders, a criminal against God. But not only had they lost a family member, but they had lost the one that they thought was the Messiah. They had hoped, it says in verse 21, that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But now all their hopes were dashed, they thought, because their nephew had gone and gotten himself killed on a cross. But they failed to see that it was through the cross, through the suffering of the cross, that they would be redeemed, that they would be released from their slavery to sin and death. But verse 15, Jesus Himself came with them on that road and He walked with them. He opened the Scriptures to them. He showed them that this is exactly how it had to happen. The Messiah had to come and take on flesh. He had to live a perfect life for us. He must be crucified and then raised in victory over sin and death. And yet they couldn't see Him. They couldn't recognize Him, blinded by all of their grief and all of their pain and all of their loss. I don't know about you, but that describes me a lot of the times. Sometimes we're thrown a curveball by God and we feel like this challenge and this pain. These are things we don't deserve, God. Why did you do this to me? And in those moments, those things come to us. We're tempted to believe that it's just too hard. These things I'm facing are too difficult. I don't have what it takes to endure this. Whether it's to maintain a marriage that's so broken or giving myself to a spouse or giving myself to kids when I don't feel like there's much coming back to me. Or whether it's fighting for my life and I'm so tired and I'm so weak. Friends, it's when we are weary and when we are tired that it is hard to recognize Jesus in His work. It's hard to see Him alive. It's hard to experience His work when we have our vision captured by suffering. But it's in those moments those moments of disappointment and despair and brokenness when we are low and when we feel like there's nothing left to hang on to, those are the moments that Jesus comes to us and He meets us and He opens our eyes and He opens our hearts. They didn't recognize Him. And yet Jesus showed them from the Word how it had to go. It had to go like this. What an interesting conversation it was, must have been And Cleopas and Mary didn't want it to stop. They invited him in to spend the night and keep the conversation going, it says in verse 29. They wanted to stay in the presence of this this one who who knew the Word of God and, and encouraged them from it. They wanted to be with this guy. They wanted to continue to hear about how the Messiah Himself would come and deliver His people and forgive them and dwell with them and heal them. They wanted to know more. They wanted to hear more. They wanted to experience more of this God of grace. And certainly they did. In verse 30 and 31, it says Jesus broke the bread, He blessed it, He gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. It's interesting, isn't it? Some folks wonder whether or not this was an experience of the Lord's Supper. Was this Jesus celebrating communion with Cleopas and Mary? Well, it's a nice thought, but I don't think that's exactly what's happening here for a few reasons. First of all, The the verbs are different from Jesus' institution of of communion in chapter 22. The elements are different. There's no mention of the wine here to point to Jesus' shed blood. And third, there's no explanation. Cleopas and Mary hadn't been in the upper room when communion was celebrated the first time. So without an explanation, they would have no idea what he meant here. I don't think this is a celebration of communion, but we do find the most similar account... With Jesus fed the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. It's almost verbatim the same. He took, He blessed, He broke, and He gave it there just like here. And one thing is in common between that meal of the 5,000 and this meal with Cleopas and Mary. And that is Jesus is the host. Now that in itself is interesting. Because this was Cleopas's home. He was the head of that home. He was the head of the table. And yet Jesus was the host. Jesus was the one who had something to offer. Jesus is the one who took control of that meal and offered something to them. And what Jesus had to offer was himself. It was himself as the bread of life given for us. He's given His life, He's given of Himself, and it brings nourishment to our broken souls. His life within us, even now, continues to nourish us and strengthen and encourage us in the midst of whatever difficulty we face in this life. Just as with Cleopas and Mary. When Jesus offered Himself to them, their eyes were opened, verse 30 it says, and they recognized who He is. Some of the early church fathers Suggested that their eyes were open when he broke the bread, because they could see his hands when he broke the bread, they could see his nail pierced hands as he broke that bread we don 't know exactly what they saw, but we do know that their eyes were opened that 's a passive verb. it means something happened to them. Someone else opened their eyes. Who is it that opened their eyes? It was the Holy Spirit. It was that same Spirit that inflamed their hearts in verse 32. When the Spirit opened their eyes, their their hearts were kindled and warmed and set ablaze with the truth that Jesus, that same Jesus they knew before, He died and He rose again and He stood right there before them. And it was in His living presence that they were changed. Their hearts were changed. Their lives were changed. Now you and I may read this account and wish that we had been there. Wish that we could have something similar. We may may wish that we could rejoice like they did. Perhaps it would be a little bit more believable if we had been there and seen this with our own eyes. But in a sense, friends, we can be there. Because Jesus, that same Jesus, comes to us in His Word and by His Spirit to inflame our hearts right now. That same resurrected Jesus is here in this room with us today. He comes to us to breathe the winds of change into our lives. He's alive and He's alive in you right now. That same resurrected Jesus comes to us, to you and to me, to encourage us and bless us, and just like these two, to change us. And that change happens, friends, when we are in His presence. Just like with Cleopas and Mary. That change comes when we're in His presence and He brings us to faith the first time. And our continued growth, our continued change in the Christian life comes as we are in His presence by the Spirit of God working by and with the Word of God to reshape us into His image. I don't know about you, but often when I think about change in my life, I think about subtracting things. If I can just stop doing these things, if I can just stop these sins, if I can just eliminate those bad parts of my life, then I'll be more holy. But not so fast. We don't have the power to do that. We don't have the power within us to stop and eliminate and change these parts of our lives. There has to be something working on us from the outside. A few weeks ago, I went sailing with a few members here in the church, and that was exactly the second time I'd ever sailed in my whole life. And I learned something on that sailboat. And one of the things I learned is that if I were to stand in the center of that sailboat and shove on the mast with all my might, I mean, really lean into it and give it all that I've got, what's going to happen? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I can't make that boat move one inch by pushing on the mast. It takes a force from outside. It takes a wind. It takes a power from outside to propel that boat forward, right? And the same thing is true with you and me. If we want to grow and change in the Christian life, then simply seeking to eliminate sin in my own life, working hard to to stop doing these things, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to be more holy. There has to be an outside force working on us to change us from the inside out. If you simply try to eliminate sin in your own power, then that one thing might be removed. But the root of sin in your heart is going to grow stronger and larger. Instead, our love's Our desires have to be reordered. Those desires, those good desires in our lives that become a demand and then then cause us to pass judgment on other people and become an idol in our hearts. Those good desires turn to idols. They have to be ripped out. And we can't do that. Any more than I can make that boat go by pushing on the mast or any more than if I had fallen overboard and I tried to pull myself back in by reaching around and grabbing myself by the hair to pull myself in the boat. It's not going to happen. If you and I try to reach into our hearts and pull out the sin on our own, it's not going to happen. We're not going to grow in Christ. Because growth in Christ is not simply a matter of stop. Stop doing these things. But growth in Christ is also a matter of start. Start. I must start having a life conformed to the image of Christ. I must start loving what He loves, loving whom He loves. And I can't do that by myself. And neither can you. How do we change? We change by being with Him. It's a supernatural relationship. He works in our hearts as we are brought into His presence by the Holy Spirit, as we're nourished by His Word. We are changed. We change as we spend time in His presence. That perhaps sometimes, like me, you're frustrated because there's something about your life that you want to change. There's something you want to to be different about your life. It's not this way all the time, but I wonder if we're not experiencing the change that we want because we're prioritizing doing for God rather than being with Christ. I wonder what would happen in our lives if we began to prioritize being with Christ, being with Him in His Word and in prayer, being with Him in the Spirit versus doing for Him and expecting my life to change. That's certainly the battle in my own heart. We see with Cleopas and Mary here, we change as we are in His presence. We see it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That's perhaps the best how-to-change verse in all the Bible is Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." The image that the Apostle Paul is using there is that of a mirror, that beholding, that reflecting word speaks of a mirror in the ancient world. And you know this, a mirror simply reflects what's in its presence, right? A mirror simply reflects what it's exposed to. And that's what the Apostle Paul says of us as we come into the presence and the glory of the Lord, as we behold Him, as we meditate on Him, as we reflect His glory together with His Word, we are transformed, we are changed more into what we reflect. That's how it happens. As we are exposed to the glory of the Lord, as we read about Him in the Word, as we spend time together with Him in prayer, as we are pursuing the spiritual disciplines, as we lay out the guts of our lives before Him, pouring out our hearts before Him, inviting Him to search us in those secret places, as we are laid bare, the Spirit begins to do the work of changing us and transforming us. It's His supernatural work in us, friends. The how is in the who. The how of change is tied together with the who does the change. The how is in the who. So do you want to change? Do you want to have power to deal with your disappointment? Do you want to have some grip of an unruly desire, an unruly sin in your life? Do you want to make it stop? Do you want to find strength to keep going? The power comes from being with jesus the power comes when we are with jesus with his life-giving presence by his word and his spirit we become most like whatever our lives are exposed to do we come to the presence of jesus for change it may not be our first move if you're anything like me my first move is how can i fix this what can i do to make this thing better how can i find the energy to keep going But the reality is the how is in the who. Open up your heart before Him. Spend time with Him in the Word and in prayer. You may need to reach out to a counselor. You may need to seek others to help hold you accountable. But don't neglect the who for the how. Don't neglect the one who has the power to change and the desire to change and reshape you. Being with Him in His presence is how we're changed. And secondly, quickly we see having been in His presence, we are equipped to serve. We are equipped and we are prepared to serve the Lord Jesus and serve His kingdom by having been in His presence. Not by trying to serve, not by working hard, not by deciding to serve, but by being with Him. We are equipped to serve. Verse 33 says that, Cleopas and Mary rose that same hour. It was in the dark. It was after supper. They rode that same hour to travel back to Jerusalem. They had to share with the other disciples. The news was too good not to share. But in those days, they didn't travel at night. They didn't travel that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus at night because there were robbers. There were thieves on the road. And people at dark went into their homes and closed the doors. But here... That same hour, as they finished dinner, they left their home. They traveled in the dark, that seven-mile road all the way down to Jerusalem. Why? Because their hearts were aflame. They had been with the Lord Jesus. They were in His presence. And in His presence, experiencing that love, experiencing that life-giving Savior, hearing of His love for them that took Him to the cross, and He was raised from the dead, that love compelled them to serve It compelled them to serve Him with joy. They had to tell the message. They were servants on fire because they had been with Jesus. I wonder if we are failing to be servants on fire because we neglect being with Jesus. It was in being with Him that they were compelled to serve it was because they had experienced that incredible resurrection life that they were willing to risk. Imagine what they were going to do. They were going to walk down that road in the dark and risk looking stark crazy before their friends. They didn't know was at the they didn't know what was at the end of that seven mile journey. They didn't know if those gathered in Jerusalem may have thought they lost their minds. They didn't know if those gathered in Jerusalem had all scattered by that point. They didn't know if maybe they had been put to death too. It was an incredibly risky move for them as disciples to go and to serve and to tell. And yet because they had been with Him, they were strengthened to serve with joy. It is in being with the Lord Jesus in fellowshipping with that resurrected Lord Jesus in His Word and by His Spirit that we hear the music of His tender love, His full and perfect pardon on the cross. And we hear about that indwelling power that is available to you and to me today. Is there some challenge in front of you that seems too big? Go be with Him. Is there a a trial... That is weighing you down. Sit with the Lord Jesus in prayer. And reading His word. Is there a love that He calls you to give away. And you wonder. Do I have the strength to do it? Pour out your heart in His presence. And ask Him to empower you to love. As you've been loved by Him. Is there a misordered desire in your life? Is there a desire that has become a demand. And is an idol in your life. And it needs to be reshaped then go to the One who holds your heart in His hand that He might change you. Friends, never forget, you are an ambassador of the true and the powerful King. You are an ambassador of the King who delights to have you in His presence. He delights to shape you. He delights to change you. He delights to be with you. And then He sends you out in His power and His might into this world. Let's not neglect being with the King as we go and serve the King. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that by Your strength You would help us to see the truth. The truth, Lord, is so often that we neglect the being with You part. We neglect fellowshipping with You and Reading and studying Your Word, we neglect spending time with You in prayer and we run to things to do to make us feel better. We ask, Lord, that in addition to the things You call us to do, in addition to the extra helps that we can have in our lives of accountability and partnerships and counselors and all the wonderful tools that are in this world, Lord, let us not neglect being in Your presence that You might do the deep work of changing our hearts. Father, we plead it. We plead it that the Spirit would do it within us because we can't do it ourselves. Strengthen us, we pray. Open our eyes and inflame our hearts, we ask it. In Jesus' name, Amen.